Several years ago, a good friend of mine recommended a book to me. And uh, I didn't read it for a while, but after a while I said, hey, I'm going to check it out because I really respect this friend. Did people ever send you stuff, a video to watch, or a book, and you always consider the source, whether you're going to read it or not. So uh, I read this book, and it's a really interesting angle, if you would. The name of the book is called Letters from a Skeptic. And it's written about this guy by the name of Greg Boyd, who has a dad. His dad is Edward Boyd. And his dad is a skeptic. And he has all these questions about God and about religion. And so this is back when people actually wrote letters, okay? And so what happened was the father started writing to his son all these questions he had about these ultimate issues. Like, if there is a God, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And when I read the Bible, why does there appear to be so many different contradictions? And why didn't God hear our prayer when your mother passed away at such a young age? And so the dad and the son start this dialogue of correspondence in letters about these issues. That The dad would ask the question, and then the son would simply try to respond with a letter. And what I thought is, is interesting about this particular book, but also about life in general, is that what I've discovered is it's not just skeptics, whether you're an agnostic or an atheist, it's not just skeptics that have questions about God, but many times we all do. Whether you're a skeptic or a Christian, there will be a point in time in your life where you begin to have real and honest questions about God. Perhaps that's where you are right now. You're at a time in your life, you're at a season when you're asking some very powerful and very personal questions to God himself. Last week we looked at how, if we're gonna make it through difficult times in life, we have to have a purpose, we have to have plan, and we have to have a power. And we saw how David did all those things in spite of his many mistakes, his many uh, faulty paths. David was a man after God's own heart, and he had that purpose. He had that plan. He had that power. But in spite of that, David, as we know, also had a lot of questions for God. The title of this message is called Questioning God. So if you have a Bible, open to the very middle, to the book of Psalms. If not, you'll see the passage will be on the screen right in front of you, Psalm chapter number 10. Now, one of the things I like about the book of Psalms is that the book of Psalms, in many ways, is a book of questions. The book of Ecclesiastes is another book of questions. The book of Lamentations is another book of questions. I think so many times people look at the Bible and say, the Bible is simply a book of rules. It's a book of answers. No, the Bible is also a book of powerful questions. And here we find David asking questions to God. Look at Psalm 10 verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble. David is surrounded by problems. 
He has massive problems in his family, massive problems at work, massive leadership issues. And he feels like in this particular situation that God is not hearing his prayer. He feels like God is kind of hiding out. So he begins to question. And like in so many Psalms, start off with these very raw and honest and penetrating questions to God himself. Question, what kind of questioner are you? I see that there are several different types of questioners. First of all, there are people who feel like they can't question God. So when they have a question about something that's happened in their life, and as it connects to God, instead of voicing that question or expressing that question, they suppress that question. They don't want anybody to know. Don't want God to know. As if, right? And so you suppress that question. Many of you grew up in a tradition like that, whether that was stated or unstated. I can say in many ways, that was kind of the, the tradition that I grew up in, the religious tradition, was you really don't ask questions. You kind of can't ask questions, right? The other kind of person who asks questions is someone who asks them cynically or critically. So when they question God, they don't suppress their questions. They simply want to impress other people, maybe their family or their friends, about their pseudo-intellectualism. And so they kind of cynically and sarcastically throw out questions concerning God. They really don't want any answers. They're just kind of tossing those out to make them sound like they are really smart and clever. Now, the third kind of person that questions is someone who I hope I will become, I hope you're that way, is that you are curiously asking questions to God. In other words, you express those questions out loud to God or you express those to someone else and you're really seeking to find answers. Now, David asks all kinds of questions in the Psalms and some of them are rhetorical, some of them are personal, some of them are perennial. But David, we can see in the Psalmist, are, is really seeking to find answers to those questions. Can you relate to this psalm? Can you relate to having real and raw and honest questions to God? Maybe you're questioning God right now. Maybe you're in a season in your life where you're questioning him and you're wondering, God, where are you? Just like David's wondering. And God, if you're there, why don't you care? Why don't you do something? Why don't you intervene? Or maybe you're asking the question that so many Psalms address, and that is, God, how much longer is this going to last? How long, God, am I going to have to stay in this situation at work? How long is this family crisis going to continue? How long am I going to struggle to overcome this? God, when are you going to intervene? How long, oh Lord? The amazing thing about God's word, the amazing thing about the Psalms is that the Psalms 
give us permission to have a real relationship with God and to voice these questions to him. Now we move on here in this passage. We not only see that the psalmist that David is asking questions, we can kind of understand a little bit about why he's questioning God. What's motivating him to ask these questions that God seems to be hiding himself or far away, not intervening in the situation. Look at verses two following and verses nine following as well. Look what he said. This is why he questions God, part two. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart and he blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Verse nine, skip down. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies to, in wait to catch the helpless. He catches them, drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed, they collapse, they fall under his strength. And he says to himself, this skeptic, this evil person, God will never notice. He covers his face and he never sees. Why is David questioning God? He's questioning God because he feels like life is not fair. That God is not being fair. He's simply pulling out his cell phone and scrolling down his feed. And he's saying, God, look at all these people who don't care about you, who don't worship you, who don't follow you, who don't come to church in the rain on Sunday morning at 11-11. Look at them, look at their Caribbean vacation, look at their new car, look at their new whatever they got. It seems like they're prospering and I'm not. I'm surrounded by my enemies. I have these problems that are pressing in upon me. It doesn't seem fair. That's what David is questioning here. Why does God allow his own enemies, at least externally, to prosper? Why is that? He's questioning the fairness of God, the fairness of life. And I think we all do that at some point. If you're a parent, that's one of the first things you teach your kids. Life is not fair. A fair is something you paid to get on a bus. Life is not fair. But just like our kids, it's a lesson that we have to learn again and again and again and again and again. So he's questioning. Why is he questioning God? He's questioning his fairness. He's questioning why the wicked, why the godless people, why the skeptics seem like they're getting away with it. But there are other reasons that we question as well. I think about Martin Luther, the great powerful reformer who led the Protestant Reformation, he went through many seasons of questioning God. It led Luther into a deep depression as he questioned whether or not he had made the right decision by leading this Reformation for the church. 
I think about my guy C.S. Lewis, the former skeptic atheist who turned into a believer. When his wife was suffering and dying from cancer, he cried out and wondered why didn't God intervene as she was suffering from this illness. I think about still one of the most admired people in the world, Nobel Prize winner, Mother Teresa, who gave her life to the sick and dying in the streets of Calcutta in India. And many times Mother Teresa had these questions about whether God in Christ really loved her and was really there. So these are arguably three of the most influential Christians in the last half a millennia with, with Luther, Mother Teresa, and Lewis. But these were men and women, godly people who had questions in their relationship with God, questions about God's love for them, questions about God's direction in their life, questions about God's non-intervention as his wife was battling this hideous disease. Questions. And what's telling about the questions that they had, the questions that the psalmists have, and perhaps the questions that you have, it's not so much that we will have questions. It's what we do with our questions that matter. It's what you do with your questions, what I do with my questions, that really counts. And as we look at the rest of this passage, we can see what David does with his questions. We'll see how he processes them in part three of this passage in Psalm 10. Look at verse 12. He says, arise, O Lord, and lift up your hand, O God, and do not forget the helpless. The first thing he does with this question is he reminds God, God, do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile you? Verse 13, God. Why does he say to himself, he won't call me into account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. So he's reminding himself through his questions that I know who God is. I've seen God help me. I've seen God help the helpless. I've seen God be a father to the fatherless. He's reminding himself. He's remembering the faithfulness of God. And then in verse 15, you really have to appreciate this. He goes full MMA in jiu-jitsu. He says, break the arm, in Portuguese, arm bar, break the arm of the wicked man, call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. He's praying for the justice of God. Then verse 16, we sang about this earlier. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, Hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry. You're defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. So David takes his questions about God hiding out, 
about God not caring, God listening. He takes these questions and processes them before God. To put it another way, he allows his questions to take him on a quest. That's what the word question means. It means to quest, to go on a journey. So be like David. If you have questions that you're asking right now in your heart and mind, let your questions take you on a quest. David's quest led him to remember God's faithfulness. David's quest led him to remind God, God, I know that you are the father of the fatherless. I know that regardless of what I see in my own circumstance right now, that you're still on the throne, you still are sovereign, and even though I can't see it behind the scenes, you are working all things together. So he allows his questions to lead him to a point of confidence as he's relying on the promises and the presence of God. Don't let the questions you have just kind of float around nebulously. Don't let the questions that you have go unanswered. That's where I think the enemy wants to keep us. And that keeps us off balance. That can put you in a spiral of doubt and despair if you really don't seek out resolve and answers to your questions. If you don't let your questions take you on a quest that will actually build your confidence and build your trust in God. Let your questions take you on a quest. Now we have the advantage of where we live in 2023 that we are on the other side of the cross. God had not truly intervened in this magnificent, spectacular, and final way in Christ. David was looking forward to that, but we live after the cross. And we know that God did enter into our world. We know that Christ did take his suffering upon us. And we know that we can take our questions and we can take our, 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 our thoughts, our doubts to God himself to Christ. And we can even see in Christ his own ability and his own questions that he had. As he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's praying before the crucifixion. He's like, God, is there another way to make this happen? But if not, I will drink this cup, not my will, but thy will, Father. And even on the cross, we know that Christ asks that question. He's quoting from Psalm 22 where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, somehow, someway, mysteriously, that Christ became sin on our behalf. He took our punishment. And it's like he felt that distance from God and he voiced that question. But he persevered through. And he rose again on the third day. And Christ knew that his suffering was in the purpose and the plan of God. So many times when I have questions, and I have lots and lots and lots of questions, 
Some questions I find the answers to, but some questions I don't. And the questions I don't, I lean on the cross. And what I mean by that practically is, I think to myself, okay, I know that God is there. I know that God is real. And I know that God cares for me so much that he gave his son, his son sacrificed his life on a cross for me. And if he did that, if he loves me that much, I'm gonna trust him with these other questions I have that I don't have the answer. I'm gonna embrace the mystery and cling to the promise of God's love in Christ on the cross. So if you have questions, allow your questions to take you on a quest, and I pray that your quest will take you to the cross itself where God reveals his heart, his face to us in Christ. That's what Luther did with his questions. His questions turned into a deeper understanding of grace. That's what Lewis did with his questions about his wife and his grief. He allowed his questions to be turned into books and stories to encourage us here today in our world. That's what Mother Teresa did with her questions. She allowed her weakness to experience the love and the power of God as she was ministering to those who were sick and dying in India. Their questions took them on a quest to the heart of God and the heart of Christ himself. So if you have questions, we take these questions to God. I recommend you write out your questions. You write them out. You find someone to work out your questions with. Don't just ask questions in your mind that go unanswered. Don't just spile around by yourself. We, God has given us his community. His community, you and me, we are here for one another to help us process the various questions that we will have at different seasons in our life. And he's given us his cross, he's given us his word, he's given us his promises to remind us of his faithfulness and to give us solid rock answers, to deepen our faith, to deepen our trust in him. It's great, isn't it? God wants a, a real relationship with you and me, not, you know, not some buttoned up, fake smile, blah, 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 everything's okay. No, he, God can handle it, okay? God's not, oh no, Ben has questions, David has questions, Duncan has, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Oh, no, God knows we're human and God is God. He's given us a book of Psalms, Ecclesiastes, entire books dealing with questions. It's okay to question God. But let your questions take you on a quest to find some real answers. And where there's not answers, allow that to deepen your trust in Him. Now, back to that, that book that I read. Letters from a skeptic. Here's, here's what happened between the dialogue between the father and the son. Uh, they, they exchanged, I think, over 29 letters over a three-year period. And the dad is just lobbing these questions at his son, and the son is just responding and responding back and forth, back and forth, until finally, 
The dad's at a point where it looks like he may be able to commit to God and commit to Christ. He says, but I can't take some leap of faith like it's some irrational blind leap. And his son writes back, he goes, dad, it's not really a leap of faith. It's really more of a lean of trust. And he'd spent the entire book in these letters showing his dad all this information, all of this evidence that points to the reality and the veracity of God in Christ and his word. And finally, at the age of 73, Greg's skeptical dad wrote him this letter. I'll read you some excerpts. He said, Dear Greg, well, as I told you over the phone, I finally took the leap. Hallelujah. As I sit here and read all the letters, I can't believe how much I've changed. I began to get the distinct impression as we wrote these letters that my case for skepticism was ultimately a lost cause. It wouldn't have happened without your persistence, son, and I want you to know that I love you and I appreciate you for this. As you know, I still have a number of questions and I'm sure we'll continue to hash these out, but my disposition has completely changed. I'm asking him no longer as a skeptic, but as a believer. You don't need to end your letters in quotes with hope any longer. Lots of love with faith, exclamation point, he writes, Dad. Let your questions take you on a quest. <laughs>